Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. All this focus, focus is supposed to be scientific. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that. And now you do. On this podcast, there is no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There is no outcome, only eternal unfolding. More than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in our lifetime. Many of my listeners identify with various psychiatric labels like BPD, bipolar, CPTSD, ADHD, autism, depression, the list goes on. The medical model of mental illness tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is due to chemical imbalances in our broken brains, and that the best we can hope for is to numb or suppress the symptoms of these disorders, dysfunctions, and imbalances into remission. The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. What if we viewed our symptoms as saviors? Through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. 
through working and integrating the concepts we'll explore together on the podcast, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. So welcome back, returning listeners, new listeners. Welcome to the Back from the Borderline pod fam. I'm really excited about today's episode. It has been a while since I've done an interview episode, and we have a very, very special guest on the podcast today, but I thought I'd record a quick intro so that you can get a better understanding of Zelda and why I wanted to have her on the podcast. Today's guest is Zelda Poem, and she describes herself as a leader, a space holder, and tomorrow's school architect. On Zelda's website, she says, Since I was a child, my goal is to transform our education system. I dropped out of high school and worked in ed tech startups since I was 16 years old. Then I created an educative program and I wrote a book to help teenagers hack their education. Later, I got trained in art therapy, empathic communication, and psychology. I facilitate workshops and one-on-one sessions. I love to create spaces for people to blossom in. My current focus is developing Tomorrow's School, a collective art gallery promoting a new education system. Zelda is an incredibly inspiring young woman. At 15, she published her very first article on the internet about education, and at 16, she dropped out of school against the advice of her teachers and left her parents' house to move to Paris. Reading from an article on her Medium account, which I will link in the episode description, she wrote, I started working in an ed tech startup while studying to get my high school diploma. I remember the day I received the results of my high school exam. My very first thought when I saw that I graduated with honors was, okay, I just proved that my methodology works. I proved that a 16-year-old girl can work in a startup. I proved that the traditional school is not the only way. Now, the next step is to create something from this knowledge. She writes, I started working on it the very next day. Since the summer holiday of my 16th birthday, I've spent 100% of my time working, studying, writing articles, sending cold emails, with the aim of making an impact on the school that led to so much boredom and frustration when I was a kid. I thought it would be really cool if I translated Zelda's article that she wrote online when she was just 15 years old and preparing herself to drop out of school against the advice of everyone she knew, all of her teachers, Zelda had the courage to follow her intuition, follow her bliss, and it has led her in exactly the right direction. I thought that Zelda was the most powerfully inspiring guest for many of my listeners, especially since my episode that I released a few weeks ago on the Japanese philosophy of Ikigai, which if you haven't listened to that, I will also link that in the episode description. It's a philosophy that helps you find your life's purpose, your calling, helping you put together what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what other people need in the world. And I think Zelda has done just that. She has found her ikigai. And 
being someone who dropped out of school at such a young age and is still only in her early 20s and has managed to accomplish what she has, I just know that hearing from her and our conversation is going to be incredibly inspiring for anyone, no matter what stage of your recovery journey you're on. It's kind of funny because Zelda and I talk about chat GPT and AI and the impact that that's going to have on education. And I used chat GPT to translate her article into English from French. So I thought that's pretty cool. So let's go back in time and read the article that 15 year old Zelda wrote. Imagine her full of purpose, full of belief in herself as a young child in the south of France, wanting a better future for herself. The title of the article is A French High School Student Explains Why It's Time to Revolutionize the School. Now we're going to read the article. Bear with me because as I mentioned before, this is a translation from French to English using ChatGPT, and I'm sure that there's going to be certain things that are lost in translation, no pun intended. So let's dive in. Zelda writes, education, as everyone calls it, is a machine that produces soldiers for the economy rather than accomplished human beings capable of thinking, criticizing, creating, mastering, and managing their emotions. Education can be summed up as distorting and conforming through formatting. We no longer want to be considered sheep by an educational system whose only ambition is to shape us according to the criteria of a sick society. The worst of it all is that schools have become places where we compete against each other. In this race for diplomas, we are selecting the most dangerous people, those who will no longer be capable of imagining because they are submissive and conform to the system. Thus, the best, quote-unquote, will become predators, killers, while the rest become consumers completely prepared to obey institutions. The overemphasis on intellect at the expense of the intelligence of hands, which is responsible for our evolution, is a catastrophe that turns us into disabled individuals without us even realizing it. Concrete connection with nature is also essential because it is from nature that the child derives life throughout their existence. Utilizing a vital principle without knowing it is a monumental mistake. True education would be to cultivate the desire to invest, experiment, and help individuals reveal their unique personalities, prepare them for life within life with the help of others. This is the type of school that science must establish. Then, social interests will be definitively reversed. Society will be designed for the school, not the other way around. I would like to share my feelings and those of many of my high school and middle school friends who go to school every day. Unfortunately, our opinions are never asked for, despite being the ones most affected by the decisions made in education. We spend 12 years of our lives at school, and it's a true ordeal for many of us. The education we undergo throughout our schooling, in my opinion, is not given in the right way. I see many students and friends around me who are literally drowning under the pressure placed on them. Grades, the way teachers deliver their lessons. Here, I will outline the shortcomings of the current French education system. First, grades. My grade on a French test. It was a test I had studied for an entire afternoon over the weekend. Starting from elementary school, we are compared, put in competition, and prohibited from making mistakes through grading. 
learning is no longer a pleasure, but a means to get a good grade and avoid the pressure from teachers or parents. We no longer learn because it's interesting, but we learn to be put to the test during exams. The educational system encourages students to cheat by emphasizing the importance of succeeding rather than actually learning things they're interested in. We are constantly belittled and nobody cares about the effort we put in. The only thing that matters is the final grade. Next, teachers. Taken from the film Detachment. Most teachers are discouraging and some are even traumatizing. They don't give you a chance and most of them are disgusted with their profession and burnt out, which becomes our example. Adults who have lost all desire to practice their profession. During a class, a teacher said to my class, addressing the girls, In class, you're surrounded by boys and teachers who may be provoked by your attire, so don't be surprised if you get sexually assaulted on the street. Given by how you dress, it's provocative. I'll let you judge for yourself, especially since none of the girls in class were dressed provocatively. So that's the end of the article by Zelda. And I don't know about you, but imagine a young girl in a small town in the south of France at 15 years old writing this article. It's profound. Let that really sink in. She was 15 years old when she wrote this and she felt so isolated. She knew in her gut that this is not the way that students should be taught. And instead of wallowing in despair, she decided to take the only resource she had available to her, which is her writing and the technology of the internet and took a huge risk and published this piece. I think it's incredibly inspiring. Before we dive into my interview with Zelda, I wanted to start with some reflections of my own about my own experience in the education system growing up in the United States, which sounds like it was quite similar to Zelda's growing up in Europe, in France. And I'm sure it will resonate with many of you listeners. Something that struck me particularly was the end of this article where she talks about how she experienced body shaming and victim blaming and slut shaming in school at the hands of teachers. I experienced this myself. I was sent home on multiple occasions when I was wearing tank tops as young as 12 and 13 years old, sent home from school because my attire could be distracting to the boys around me. I experienced teachers who were clearly incredibly overwhelmed, overworked, and burnt out. Both of my parents were middle school teachers myself, so I also come from a family of educators. I experienced my mom, who is incredibly amazing at what she did. Both of my parents were constantly put on lists as students' favorite educators. They took great pride in what they did, but I witnessed my mom experiencing burnout. My mother was an English teacher and she would be buried in grading papers every single night. And so I have a ton of compassion for educators. I follow an Instagram account myself that shares the experience of teachers who are burnt out and wanting to quit their jobs because they're frustrated with it. 
Just in the last few months, I've seen quite a few articles about teachers in various school districts in the United States going on strike because they don't make enough money, that they are not treated properly in the places that they work, especially by administration. So I feel like more and more we're seeing the cracks show a lot more in the education system. Growing up, I didn't feel like my cup was filled by school. I felt and deeply sensed that I was learning things from people who were burnt out and overworked that had extremely backwards views, especially growing up in the Midwest in Wyoming. And I sensed that my teachers had deeply prejudiced views, some of them. I sensed that they didn't love what they were doing. I sensed that they were tired of the things that they were teaching. And I knew deep down that I would never use much of this stuff again. I found myself cheating on essays that I was assigned quite often, and I would end up getting straight A's on these essays, but I didn't feel very bad about it at the time because I thought it was just meaningless busy work. And I'm not saying that I'm advocating for cheating on exams, but you'll understand more deeply when we get into the interview with Zelda and I, because we bring this very topic up is there wouldn't be these issues if the education systems were built to nurture the actual needs that students have. I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm so incredibly impressed with the younger generations that are coming up behind me as a 33-year-old millennial. I still consider myself to be quite young, but hearing from my listeners who are in their teens and early 20s, I'm blown away by their fierce resistance to things that don't make sense, their felt sense that things aren't right and they want to fight for something different. And if you're a young person that is struggling with these same emotions, you are going to love this conversation with Zelda. If you're someone who is like me, far and away outside of their education experience, this is going to also be an incredibly validating conversation with you, especially if you've struggled to find your purpose in life, if you're drowning in student loans from degrees that maybe you didn't finish or you did, or you're in a profession that you don't even like because you felt like you were pressured into it, you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump in to my incredible interview with the fantastic and amazing Zelda poem. Hey, I'm Zelda. Um, I like to call myself an emotional and educational hacker um, there's a question I've been asking myself for almost the past decade now, and that is how to create a school system that's fulfilling and in which students can explore their potential. Um, and I've been trying to answer this question in many, many ways, from dropping out of school myself at 16 um, in order to rebel and explore alternative ways to educate myself, to becoming a published author at 18 years old and having the opportunity to talk in an Ivy League, high schools, um, and biggest national media about this project and my opinion on um, the educational system. Um, And finally, running a school for young entrepreneurs. um, And as of today, creating a lot of content in order to make um, 
the education crisis a mainstream topic and let everyone know that um, there is a problem in the way we educate um, children in today's school. I'm also a coach for teenagers and young entrepreneurs to help them navigate their emotional life and find out their path. Some things, some things I do. (laughs) So amazing, Zelda. And for the listeners, we spoke a bit before we hit record and I came across Zelda and her work on Twitter and I was just blown away by her passion for this. And I also felt like it was deeply connected what she was doing with my listener base, because I think the vast majority of my listeners, Zelda, are highly sensitive, highly intuitive, highly creative. And I know because I've spoken to many of my listeners directly and my experience in school was all it really did was exacerbate my perfectionistic tendencies. I felt like I got straight A's. I did all of the stuff that I was supposed to do, but I felt like I didn't learn anything. And one of my earliest memories was checking out the same book in elementary school about ancient Egypt. I was obsessed with ancient Egypt. All I wanted to do at five was read this book. And I checked it out so many times from the library that the librarian actually said, Molly, you can't check out this book anymore because other kids need a turn. And I just remember being having a very early thought as even as young as like seven or eight being Why can't I just learn what I'm passionate about? Why do I have to learn about these things that the teachers say are important? And I even remember so many memories of going, when am I ever going to use this again? Why am I not being taught about emotion regulation in school? I wasn't thinking about that now, but now in retrospect, I'm thinking about that. Why wasn't I taught about how to handle my my feelings and all of the teachers that I um, that were teaching my classes, they seemed burnt out. They seemed not passionate about what they were learning. So these are just some reflections for, for me. And I know that my listeners, many of them have had that experience. Then you go to college and you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and you actually haven't learned anything. So the fact that you say we're in a crisis of an education a crisis, I couldn't agree with you more. And so now with that tiny little detour about my own background, I want to kick it back to you because you said that you dropped out of school at 16, I think you mentioned, and there's so much stigma about dropouts, but you are a living example of the fact that it didn't matter. And I'm sure that probably triggers a lot of people because look at what you've been able to accomplish. But I'd love to go back, obviously, you, I'd love to hear about where you're from. And also we spoke about before we, we hit record, so many advocates begin their journey with being frustrated or angry about the status Mm. quo. And they use these emotions to fuel their work. So I'd love to hear about little Zelda and what your experience was like in school and what were the emotions that led you to drop out and like, let's go back. I'd love to hear that. And Mm. I'm sure it would help my listeners too. Hmm. There is so many problems with the way we educate children and with the current school system globally. And you beautifully talked about many of them um, that I I resonate deeply with. Um, I was born in the south of France in a town called Marseille. Um, And I was a very exuberant, creative kid. I was also obsessed with ancient Egypt, by the way. So that's (laughs) that's kind of cool. Um, 
and um, it was pretty easy for me to um, succeed at school. It wasn't a big challenge to pass through the first grades, I would say, in primary and middle school. But very quickly, I started to get frustrated with, um, well, many things. I just started to reflect on why didn't I have the opportunity to share my opinion as a student on the way I'm educated. It, it, it felt surreal for me that we're never asked as students how we want how we feel like we need to be educated. Um, I always, I've, I've always been a very autonomous children, ch- child, sorry. And um, sorry, I will take this again. I've always been a very autonomous child. And so, as you said, I was, I was really frustrated with the system. Um, at 13 years old, I got the idea to actually share my opinion on the school system online. I I'm an internet kid. I'm 22 years old today. So I had the chance to grow up with a computer and I was always very into spending time on my computer. It felt like a way to learn and a way to connect with people uh, further the very uh, restricted school I was in. Um, so I wrote this, this article online about my, my thoughts on the current education system. And this was the first seed that allowed me to to get on this path and drop out and build projects around education um, because I realized for the first time in my life that I have a voice that's valued outside of this system. It was really powerful to start talking with strangers who who shared the same views as me. Um, so that was the first seed planted in, in this um, advocate path for a new school system. At, at that time, I was also struggling with depression. I was really struggling um, with lots of, lots, lots of topics that I guess are, are pretty common for teenagers, right? Um, not only the school system sucks in many ways in the way they, they teach you things, but they also just don't support you as a human growing up and becoming an adult. Um, so that was a big, a big challenge for me to, to be in that system. And this is what led me to ultimately drop out. Um, at the time, as you said, I had the same ideas about what drop out looked like all my teachers discouraged me to drop out and told me that I was setting myself to become a failure um, and thankfully I did not listen to them <laughs> because two years after I was a published author being interviewed in, in tons of, of medias um, but yeah it was it was a really really challenging time for sure um, and and I'm very I felt very happy to have the opportunity to share um, my path with people, with students in particular, because I think that those unconventional stories um, are so important. Models are so important when you struggle that much and you feel so lonely, basically, on, on that path. Mm. I think feeling lonely and empty is such a common feeling, you know, that's what I hear so often. And 
chronic feelings of emptiness is a symptom of many different mental health, quote unquote, disorders. I'm using air quotes for the listeners because really we are in a crisis of meaning right now. And I think young people are calling this out. And then you find Mm -hmm. that people that are entrenched in these systems are going, no, no. I always say that like no one wants to redo their homework, right? People at Mm -hmm. the highest level, they're like, no, no, this would be too much of a headache to change. There's something wrong with you, right? Does that Mm -hmm. resonate with you? Absolutely. And you know, I deeply believe that school is way too easy for students. Um, and that's, I think that for most people, it's, it's very counterintuitive, uh, almost a hot take because we, like society has this narrative about young people, how the young generation is spoiled and how they lack of empathy and whatever. Truth is, when you don't give a chance to people, to prove you and prove themselves too that they have potential, they have the capacity to build things, to show up for others, to show up for themselves. Obviously, they, they, they don't have the space to to actually do the do it in, in that system. So um, I absolutely resonate with what you just said. I think that um, teenagers, students, um, Students in, in, in college, too, they have that potential and they are just not given the chance to actually prove to society how much they can do with it. Um, and this results in lack of meaning, obviously, because when you are um, powerless with um, like how how to answer to your primary needs, such as at what time to wake up in the morning, when should you eat? I mean, that's really profound. When you look at the educational system and start thinking about what's wrong with it, it really boils down to to very profound um, um, needs stolen from the students. Mm. That's interesting that you say that. Can you elaborate more on that? Like, I'd love to hear you talk at length about what you think are some of the most prominent and urgent things that are lacking in the education system, as obviously this is your passion. And so what do you think are the things that are the biggest issues right now. And I think Mm. hearing you speak it out will be very validating for people, Mm. right? Because I think so many people think, oh, I know there's something not right. I'm not learning. I'm not, what's the point of this? But they don't know how to give voice to it. And hearing from someone who's spent their entire life so far really like researching this, you could Mm. speak to that really powerfully. So Zelda, what do you think are the biggest issues and the the mm. most prominent things wrong with our current education system today? Mm. Mm. I would, I mean, there is like literally so many problems, right? Um, we, enumer- we enumerated a few, but I, would, I will focus on, on three main ones. Um, the first one that's very counterintuitive and that's often um, 
one that we use to criticize alternative ways to educate oneself is community. Oftentimes, what we re what we're saying against homeschooling, for instance, is we're afraid that um, students won't be in a community. They will spend too much time with their family. They won't have the opportunity to socialize. But really, do you feel like you socialized at school? Do you feel like you had the opportunity to build deep, meaningful relationships with other students through your educational path? I didn't have this opportunity because I spent most of my time at school listening to a teacher, not being allowed to talk, not being allowed to interact with others, with a one-hour lunch every day in which I had to hurry up to eat before my classes would start again. Um, so truly, this idea that we get to develop community in school, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think that school teaches you to build relationships with others. It doesn't teach you how to communicate with yourself and therefore with others. Um, so that's one big thing, in my opinion, that's deeply lacking and that makes us very handica handicapped later on in how do we build relationship with others. So that's one big thing. Um, and that obviously affects us in so many other ways. I mean, if you don't have a community, um, obviously you will struggle with your mental health periods. Um, the second thing to me that you mentioned earlier is meaning, purpose, curiosity. We, I believe um, that we humans are made to wake up in the morning excited to be working on something and to be creating progress, meaningful um, projects that will be useful for communities, for other people. Um, when you spend all your time at school, again, listening to a teacher and taking um, tests, do you feel like you're contributing to something? No, you don't feel like you're contributing to anything. You don't even understand what's the point of taking all those tests. There is nothing meaningful um, coming with having a good grade. It's, it's, it's external motivation. It's not inner motivation. Inner motivation is, is feeling like you're useful for others. It's feeling like having a deep dive into a topic that, that's obsessing you like ancient Egypt. Um, so that's the second thing. Like if, if we don't give the opportunity to students to work on something meaningful, and then we call them lazy because they don't want to do their homeworks, obviously we're, we're, we're getting into another layer on why um, teenagers are in a mental health crisis as of today and why they don't recover from the pandemic. And we ask ourselves, why? Why are young people so depressed? And then there are all these clickbait <laughs> articles. It's like, mm, I think it's pretty clear why. <laughs> and you know, most of the time, those articles will tell you how social media has a negative impact on students. And as much as I agree with that, I think this is really um, 
<laughs> there is it's it's really ironic that we only focus on social media when it comes to the mental health that um the, to the mental health crisis that teenagers are going through. The truth is when you spend eight hours at school, I don't really I don't really know how how you you can make it with with your mental health honestly. No. It reminds me of like in the 50s when Elvis came out and he's like gyrating his hips and all the older generation is like, oh no, now all the kids are going to be, you know, they're all going to go demonic because they're shaking their hips. This is the mm. problem. It's like, oh, but it's mm. not racism. It's not all these systemic issues. It's Elvis and his wiggling hips. You know what I mean? It's just exactly it's a problem. It's TV. Then it was radio. Then it was rock music than it was social media, right? But we never want to address the systemic issues at hand. Right, exactly, exactly. The last main topic um, I could share some thoughts on when it comes to the, the problems of, of the current school system, um, I would say are the ways we teach kids. Um, so... There is a lot of studies in neuroscience, the science of learning. It's obvious that the way we teach kids in the current school system is so wrong. Um, for instance, and that's something that I explored a lot when I was writing my book, Hacker Education, um, we never teach students the basic on how their brain works, um, but to have a, this basic understanding actually helps you to find strategies on how to learn better. Um, so, for instance, to be emotionally involved in what you're learning, meaning feeling excited or joyful about what you're currently learning and studying, is the best way to memorize it. Um, so when we force students to study for a test um, and we don't give them any methodologies and any any opportunities to even be excited about what they're learning or to understand deeply what, what they're learning, we're setting them to forget as soon as they pass their tests what they just learned. Um, so basically, we spend like 12 years in a school system only to get out and not remember anything that we learned. For the most part. Even if you do, even if you remember it, I remember like geometry, sine, cosine, and tangent, right? Like all these things, like I never used that again, mm -hmm. you know, but it's all these things like about finances, taxes, emotion regulation. These are all the things that I wish I could have learned mm -hmm. in school, right? Yeah. But I didn't learn any of those things. So I think mm -hmm. that's really profound that you share that. I'll share a tiny story with you that you might find interesting. So my uh, husband is from Montreal, Canada, and he always hated school. He was very creative, and he, but thankfully, his mother and grandparents, they are immigrant family. They're from Poland, and they always wanted him to follow his artistic and creative passions. And so he hated school, and he was about to be done in high school and graduate, but there was this one class that, like, I think it was a math class that he just said, oh, I need to pass this class, otherwise I'm not going to graduate, right? And he went in to the teacher and basically sat down and was like, look, me and you both know I hate this class. I'm never going to do any of this, but what can we do to get me a C so that I can graduate, right? And apparently the teacher just looked at him and was like, 
do this and I'll give you the C, right? Like, so it's just like they had this, like, we see each other, we recognize each other kind of moment. But Zaz, even as like a 17 year old boy was like, this is ridiculous. Like this doesn't make any sense except, and right now I uh, know there's something called, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called oppositional defiance disorder. It's literally a disorder of millions of disorders, right? It's basically like if a kid, Zaz, could have been probably diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder because it's essentially, and I'm paraphrasing massively here, but it's just a bullshit disorder that is literally this kid won't follow instructions, right? Mm. In reality, it's children intuitively knowing this is bullshit and I don't want to do it. And we are literally smashing down their intuitive nature, smashing down their gut instincts and moving them further away from their truth when we're doing this. But then we label it and call it a disorder. Right. I I want to, to touch on something you mentioned earlier that I think is, is really interesting about what what to teach uh, children. So I think that it's it's actually great to teach students things that are quote-unquote useless. So you should be able to learn geometry if that's your thing or ancient Egypt if that's your thing. Um, but that's the thing. We force students not like not only to learn something, but to learn something that's useless and not meaningful to them. Um, I so, think that's so important, Zelda, because it's true. Like, right, I, maybe I wanted to be an Egyptologist, but someone might want to go into a field or a passion that would mean they'd have to be obsessed with geometry. So I think that is really important, right? We should be allowed to find our ikigai. I've, I'm yeah. Sure you've heard about that, right? Absolutely. Like that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so I guess, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on the ideal um, school system and, like, Ultimately, I, I just wish that people think about it for themselves because I don't really believe in one system, but many to answer to all the plurality of needs that students have. Um, but I do believe that it, it matters to learn the current skills that um, will make a change in today's world, right? Um, there is some things that um, you should learn, and for instance, emotional regulation, I believe, is, is one of them. And then there is that space in which you should just be, like, when you're a kid, you should just be learning whatever you're interested in. Um, so this balance between learning, quote-unquote, useful things, and learning things just because you enjoy them and they make you so excited um, that I think that's definitely missing. Both both parts are missing at school because we force you to learn things that you will never use for the rest of your life and that that are not making you happy to learn about. Mm. I know this is a really big topic, but you say on your website, right? And for the listeners, I'll be linking obviously to all the different ways you can connect with Zelda. But you said you call yourself tomorrow's school architect. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what is your vision for what you call tomorrow's school, right? What are some of the components that you think would make a better learning experience for young people? So 
as I said, my ultimate vision for the future of education is empowering people to learn how to educate themselves and their children and their communities. Um, I don't think that building a new big machine education system like the one we have today is what we should go for uh, because that's one of the roots of why it's not working. We believe that there is a one-size-fits-all with the way we educate children, and I think it's profoundly wrong. Um, so my vision, and when I call myself Tomorrow School Architect, my, my, my vision and my goal is to empower people um, in uh, critical thinking and in creative tools that allow them to create their, their vision for, for themselves. Um, so I built this project called Tomorrow's School in which I um, give a space, an art gallery, virtual art gallery for now, um, to people, uh, for people to contribute uh, with a small artwork depicting their ideal uh, vision of a school. And that's been wonderful to witness um, the contributions from some very young uh, people, six years old, to uh, older ones, elders, 70, 80 years old. Uh, it's been really, really special to receive all those visions and to realize, well, we might not all have the same vision and that's fine. How can we hold those different visions, that nuance that's so necessary um, and and very much lacking in today's system um, for the way we, we educate um, students. Because the truth is, yes, there is studies that will tell you there that there's best ways to, to teach students, but I ultimately believe in um, just giving a lot of autonomy to students to find out for themselves what works for them. I think that's a big piece of how we should educate students is just um, giving them a space and the autonomy to explore what they're interested in, what work for them, um, whether it's the topic or the way, the meta way itself to actually learn. Um, so yeah, that's some, that's some thoughts for the future of education I hope to contribute to. I think that's a beautiful mission. And I think it's so important, especially having people in the younger generations fighting for this because Zaz and I were just talking about this the other night. We were watching, I think, Sam Altman from uh, his testimony, right, about AI. And for those of you that don't know Sam Altman, I don't know his title. I think he's like the CEO of ChatGPT and OpenAI. He's like part of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. And watching these US Congress people or people in the House, whichever it is, I'm messing up the jargon here. It just, it just goes to show how far behind some of the people in the older generations are. And so all they could really do is AI, bad, AI, bad, AI is scary. And I was just going, wow, we really need more tech literate people, people that are from the younger generations in these positions of power to actually ask, because it was a waste of time half of the time because I was going, mm. we need people that actually understand this, that can think dialectically, mm. that can have these complex and nuanced conversations because it was mm. very clear that Sam Altman wants a safe, responsible future with this technology and every single technology. You can mm. look up videos of like 
um, Bill Maher, who is like a very famous comedian talking about, oh, well now you think everyone's going to have a little device that they carry around in their pocket and send emails. And it's like, wow, that aged badly. Right. Because yes. So my question for you is, I promise there's a point here with my little tangent on AI. You hear so many people now talking about AI is going to be this horrible thing for education and everyone's going to plagiarize these essays, maybe stupid essays that they shouldn't have had to write in the fucking first place. (laughs) That might be the question. Because I remember I cheated so much on essays when I was in school because I said I was cheating on essays, but at the same time writing songs in my bedroom that felt (laughs) like they had meaning to me, right? Because I knew this is stupid. Like this is dumb. And I'm not saying people should cheat, but I'm saying if there is a system where this is happening so much, there's clearly something wrong. So obviously you've probably done so much reading about education and AI. And I've read a cool, a few really interesting things about people that are in your generation talking about how AI can be a really positive thing for education. But I know there are drawbacks too, right? Cause these models are trained some of them have some problematic stuff built into them, blah, blah. Mm. I'd love to hear you riff on mm. AI and education and what you're mm. thinking about right now mm. when it comes to those topics. Right. Well, generally, what I think about all those debates is that, um, and that's one thing I, I wish we would teach at school, how to have open-minded conversations with each other, in which we, um, by default, are not thinking that we must be right and we we must prove wrong to the other. Um, I think that that would change a lot on all the, the discourses we're we're having currently on AI and and technologies in general. Um, now, when it comes to AI and education, well, in my opinion, and I'm on the op- I, I'm an optimist, so I only want to look at things through the optimist, rational optimist lens, uh, because um, I think this is how you actually build things that do good for the world. Um, so I think that AI is one of the best things that could actually happen to education. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Because look, not we're in the very first days of, of AI in education. So right now. There's rebels using AI to cheat on their essays. Um, I think that's great because it shows how um, 
meaningless we're how meaningless are the things we're asking students to do at school um but ultimately what ai will be able to provide to students and that's where the the real revolution is one day all students will be able to have a one-on-one teacher and that will be powered thanks to ai so nowadays in order to have um a one-on-one teacher you must be extremely privileged financially and it's proven that is the best way to learn actually to be one-on-one with someone that's teaching you something and being able to um, sit next to you and chat with you um yeah in live right um so that's that's available to a tiny minority of students nowadays and we see that it creates a lot of disparity in terms of of chances equalities um, one day, AI will be able to be the teacher of anyone. It's already happening on a very small scale um, with ChatGPT. I use ChatGPT every single day to, to learn new things, and that's yeah. very powerful. Um, but, but, but that's the very early, early days of this technology. Obviously, there is big challenges coming with how we're going to build these technologies, um, but I'm very confident that we humanity are able, we will be able to tackle those challenges. And yeah, I'm incredibly excited for what it means um, for for education, for sure. Oh, I love everything you shared. And two of the things: one, there are certain things that everyone needs to know, right? Critical thinking, like you said, the ability to have a nuanced conversation, emotion regulation, so that you're not slipping into, you know, dichotomous thinking and thinking just because someone disagrees with you, you know, that's wrong. I love that you pointed that out. And secondly, when you talked about the benefit of AI and education being that someone has one-on-one attention, like it's so powerful, right? Like, because I hear so many bad things about AI, but me and again, my husband and I, my main, my main talking partner, um, he, we were talking about the fact, right? Like we're going to be able to use this technology to help people remove like the admin heavy stuff. Like I would much rather have an AI analyze my blood work than a tired maybe hungover medical technician who's doing like a thousand of them and maybe will miss something. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you can have my cousin's a nurse. And she said that she's already used AI to like help with certain things. Mm-hmm. And then she has more emotional bandwidth to be able to uh, have meaningful one-on-one conversation. She's mm-hmm. not so drained. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one example but when you were talking about one-on-one attention, I, as you know, I had an obsession with ancient Egypt and I also am just obsessed with like the middle ages. I really love like the medieval times and they are so often when I'm reading these books, right? These, these young aristocrats had tutors, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it often were like these people who are like very, they were like philosophers that would come mm-hmm. in and be the one-on-one tutor mm-hmm. for like a young royal, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. And so not only did these young royals who were obviously very privileged at the time, mm-hmm. uh, did they, they had this person who was like a nuanced critical thinking 
uh, elder that they could go to and ask these burning questions about life. And, and the tutor would see, oh, this person has an aptitude for math or this person has an aptitude for this. And they could self-direct. And that's kind of what AI is doing. No, it's like the fact that this could democratize this level of tutelage for each student is so exciting because you think about think about all the times you had questions. I was that mm. kid that had all the questions that the teacher was like, oh, I don't want to answer that, right? I wanted to ask a million questions. <laughs> and I just remember feeling so dejected when my teacher kind of like, I think was triggered because they maybe just didn't want to answer my question. With something like this, our students can have all their questions answered. So this just makes me so excited. I just wanted to rant on that because I think it's... Yeah, for sure. And you pointed something that's that's very accurate to um, if school doesn't need to teach knowledge in itself to students, what could they have time to do instead? And I think that school should be spaces in which um, there is maybe instead of teachers, facilitators, space holders that allow students to actually develop like emotional intelligence, community. Um, so so let, let the, the, the knowledge stuff done by AI, that's amazing. It, it does it perfectly. And what oftentimes scare people is, oh, AI will replace everything. No, AI will never replace the sense of community one has when they're sitting with a group of people in the same room. Never happen. I absolutely don't believe it will, it will ever, this time will ever come. Uh, not anytime soon, for sure. Uh, not in all lifetime, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think that from that perspective, AI are very, very good news for people. I love that. And I'm like, I always mute myself when I'm, when anyone's talking because I do so many, oh my God, yes, yes. And so for the listeners, I'm over here being like, yeah, I love everything she's saying. Um, I love this conversation so much. And I, the one thing I wanted to touch on that I thought was beautiful that you shared is just this sense of just optimism, right? Not, we are in a time right now where everything is so doom and gloom, right? And I think what we forget is that that's by design, right? The very negative and inflammatory things is what gets clicks. It's what people want to write about. But I think that what we're forgetting is like what Zelda is talking about now is that at the core, I truly believe in the inherent good of people. And I believe that a lot of the suffering that's happening right now is very much due to the crisis of meaning, as you described, of, of our young people rotting away in these in, in rooms for hours at a time. When I think about how many hours I spent just sitting in school or writing papers that were like two or 3,000 word papers when I could have been writing about something I was passionate about, right? When I was in second grade, I got to do a young authors competition. Guess what I wrote about? Ancient Egypt. I won that competition. I I didn't, and it was the first thing I ever won, and I was so proud. But never again did I find passion through writing. It was like the life got wrung out of what I was doing. And I'm so excited about the changes that you're describing here because I think that 
all of this crisis of meaning is going to have a purpose, right? Like eventually younger generations of people are going to start saying no more. And that's why I think that your work is so important. And I think it's incredibly brave and just amazing what you're doing. I have a question for you. So you said a lot of this stuff, and it's very accurate, systems take forever to change. I'm sure you know that better than anyone because you're meeting with people all the time and I'm sure you're getting so many eye rolls and you're getting like, oh, but then how do we do this? And oh, right. It's so much easier to stay the same. That's why people a lot of times don't even recover when they're like depressed or in addiction, right? Because change is actually scarier than staying in your suffering. Mm -hmm. And I guess I want to know what about my listeners right now that are still in school, right? And they're frustrated and they may not even be able to benefit from any of these changes that you're dreaming about, that you and I are dreaming mm-hmm. about. What advice do you have for those students? Mm-hmm. How, what can they do now so that they don't wallow away and say, great, maybe my kids will get to benefit from this, but am I screwed, right? How, mm-hmm. how can they advocate for themselves? What can they do now and what advice do you have for them? You know, when you feel so broken and left away by the system, that's very difficult to find optimism. And I experienced it, so I know, I know very well what I'm talking about. Um, but truly, optimism, in my experience, is also the only way out of this loop of apathy and lack of meaning and struggle that students and young people that may be listening to us, everyone (laughs) currently listening to us might be experiencing. Um, And so I don't have um, magic advices for students stuck at school. It's heartbreaking for me to visit high schools every single time because I meet with students who I witness are depressed by this system and that I cannot directly help in, as in, I'll take you out of the system and let's go build things together, right? Um, in, to me, what helped a lot was to spend time on the internet, which might be a hot take, for a lot of parents like <laughs> who desperately want their children to spend less time on the inter- internet. But truly, yeah. when you know how to use the internet, you really can find your tribe. I found my tribe for the first time on the internet. Um, and that was by following things I was obsessed with and starting with to interact with other people obsessed with the things that they're obsessed with too, right? Um, so to me, spending time on, on the internet when it is about watching meaningful YouTube videos, building small things like, I don't know, writing an article on Medium, which is a platform on which anyone can, can, can publish articles or creating a newsletter or learning how to code. All those things will help you find your tribe. And that would probably be the thing I, I, I'd, recommend people to focus on find your tribe even if they leave they live miles away from you um it's better to be able to talk with strangers on the internet and feel seen by them than to feel seen by literally no one um 
so so that's one big thing and and obviously like yeah the internet also at the same time allow you to to explore some some pa- patients that you might have some hobbies um it's so accessible that's the thing like i would also recommend you to um do extracurricular activities i didn't have the the financial possibility to do ex- extracurricular activities as a teenager um but i had an internet connection and i had a computer and i think that the vast majority of people listening to us will have those tools so that that would be the the main thing i'd recommend um and again when i say spend time on the internet i'm not talking about scrolling forever on tiktok i'm talking about um finding resources and tools that allow you to find meaning and finally one thing that i also would like to add here is i think this this current crisis on meaning and and the apathy that so many young people are, are experiencing is also um is also rooted in in how we're lacking leaders uh and lacking visions for the future there is this current narrative that's true on climate change and how um i mean how many people are, are experiencing are experiencing injustice across the the globe um and i think that we're not going anywhere if we're not exciting by the future um so to me as a teen it almost felt like a responsibility to save myself to build a vision of of an exciting future i i could believe in and i was excited to contribute to um so maybe that's that's another piece of advice i would have for for people listening to us dream more spend time dreaming of an exciting future of dreaming of ways you could contribute to making this future happen because if you if you don't let yourself dream of of a, an optimistic future it will not happen that's for sure um so that's one part of my 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 current job i want to to share to people an optimistic view on what the school system could look like because if we're only talking about how the current system sucks we're not making people excited to build anything we're just making people more depressed about their their situation um yeah oh so beautifully put when you were saying that it reminded me of like Martin Luther King right like if anyone could have felt like fuck this there's no hope right i mean think of the time he was living in and also think of all of the ways he could have approached that but what he approached with his activism was i have a dream right i have a it's giving me like goosebumps because it's mm-hmm. like he had a dream of something better right and his message there were so many civil rights activists who mm. took different approaches and that and you know what and everyone did what was right for them but why is he the first person you think of when he when you think about civil rights activism right it's someone who had a dream and even if someone who has like had more of an oppositional view of him like Malcolm X right mm. Malcolm X still had a dream right he had a vision he had mm. he had a way he wanted to see the world mm. and i think right now what you said that i think is a beautiful way to sort of tie this conversation up is the worst enemy to anyone should be apathy 
right? Mm. Apathy and entropy, like not like freezing and not growing and transforming. Mm. We're meant to transform, mm. but we're yeah. in a society that wants to label us disordered, dysfunctional. Something's wrong with the individual. And the more that we have people like us out there saying, no, it's the system, but we can change that, but it's going to require us to break out of that apathetic, oh, nothing's ever going to change kind of attitude. And the yeah. fear of parents, I'm, I'm scared. Technology is bad. No, model for your kids, right? Show them how they can use this in a, in a productive way. Show them what it feels like in your body when, when you're kind of doom scrolling and, and call that out. Like, how do you feel when, when you're doing that? Cause when I do that, I'm like, whoa, it makes me feel horrible. But when I'm online and I'm finding, you know, cause you're, you're a, like a chronically online person when I'm like finding those gems, you know how sometimes you'll find like a website that's from like 2004 and it's like all these old articles and you're like down a rabbit hole with 70 tabs open. And you're like, how am I so blessed to be able mm-hmm. to access all this information? That feels good. That feels mm-hmm. exciting. And then I think, how can I bring this old information out again? And so it's like, it's not technology bad. It's like, how can we have a more less apathetic, more hopeful way and be in charge of our destinies and not let it be dictated by yeah. technology? And you know, something else that I, I would like to share here is we all have the potential to be leaders of our communities and to inspire our communities with the dreams we have. And we just need to dare to dream of them. The very first step, the very seed is letting ourselves dream of them. Um, We all have the potential for optimism and we just need the courage to be optimistic in the world that wants us depressed. And what I deeply love with your podcast and with the work that you're doing is how much you promote this idea that anyone can heal anyone can find their way out of mental mental illnesses and to me the practice of being an optimist person was a deep piece of my puzzle out of my depression you know having no meaning is the whole point of depression right because the whole message of depression is what's the point, right? Like, what's the point of it? I don't know if you've ever seen the show Big Mouth, but it's a cartoon on Netflix, right? And it's made by Nick Kroll, who's an amazing comedian. And it's about, he sort of is writing in a very creative way about his experience as a child. So it's all these cartoon kids voiced by like famous comedian adults, highly recommend it by the way. But there's an episode where one of the young girls who's a character is having depression. And the way that they portray the depression in that episode is this big, like larger than life, purple and black striped cat that just follows her around. And the depression cat is personified and she goes, oh, Jesse, but wouldn't it be nice if we just curled up and laid down? It's all too hard, you know? Like, nothing's ever going to change. Just lay down with me. Let's cuddle up, you know? Like, and that really is how depression feels. It's kind of this weight that's following you around. And for me, when I started my podcast, the first time I had a full-time job before, which I've since gotten to, like, quit, right, to do this full-time, but I was full, I felt like, whoa, 
even when I'm working for seven hours on my podcast straight, I'm full of energy. When I was on seven hours of calls at my tech job, I wanted to go drive off a bridge, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and there's a reason for that because Mm -hmm. I was, it's nothing. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Why can't I work? Because that's what our society has tricked us to believe. But when you are in Joseph Campbell's, one of my favorite people, and I read your newsletter and I know you love like young, like Carl Jung and like all of this stuff. And it's all, their work is all about finding meaning. Mm. And Joseph Campbell would always tell his students, follow your bliss, Mm. right? And if if we could do that, how would that be different? And that's why I think we're so cut off from our feelings. And I wish that adults could tell their children, how does that make you feel when you scroll Mm. on TikTok? Well, I feel like shit about myself. Mm. I start getting anxiety. It makes me want, how do you feel when you read all about this? Zaz used to be obsessed with scuba diving for some reason, but he just... He said that he would read for hours about scuba diving mm. when he was 10. It's like, how do you feel when you read mm. all about scuba diving? Well, I feel good. Follow your bliss. Yeah, right. Um, you described a secret very well guarded, which is that there is a type of folk that's insanely draining. And that's the one that we mainly hear of. There is a type of learning that's insanely draining. And that's the one that we're teaching to kids at school and there is a type of folk and a type of learning that's energizing and you need to find what type of folk and what type of learning are energizing you um i'm building for everyone too right? yes Out it there. is it is i'm i'm currently building a podcast called drop up um and i'm interviewing guests i've been interviewing guests this last weeks and they all have a very unconventional path and from all backgrounds from dancers to spiritual guides to entrepreneurs and they all say the same thing fall in love with something fall in love with a path and then don't overthink don't don't overthink it it's it's obvious that 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 will be the way um, for you to live a meaningful, fulfilling, successful life. That's it. It's very simple. It really is, you know, and like <laughs> you saying that your body tells you when you're when you're doing something that you hate versus when you're doing something with you love. And you pointed something out too, fall in love with your work. I think too many of us, especially those of us that are highly sensitive, that have struggled with complex trauma or emotional neglect in our past, at least this was true for me and I know it's true for many of my listeners, they found themselves in other people. They found themselves in people, places, and things. And the interesting part is once I started following my bliss, Zelda, that's when the right people and things started coming to me. And it's not some woo-woo manifestation, new age bullshit. It really just is how you, when when you're living your truth and you are happy and passionate, people will gather around you that that have those same, and it it just Mm -hmm. happens. And the thing is, you can't explain how it does. I'm sure you, as like a 14, 15 year old girl, when you were really being like, should I drop out? Should I not? If, if, what do you think 15 year old Zelda would think about 22 year old Zelda? For the listeners, she's smiling and doing a lot of deep thinking. Cause I bet she would think that bitch is fucking 
Cool. I think that the 15 years old Zelda would be so overwhelmed by, by what we have been achieving. Like, it would be hard for her to compute that at a time where all her teachers would call her a failure. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe how when things finally fall into place and when you're finally there to, as you said, follow your bliss, um, you can go so fucking far. Yes. Even when you come from the very bottom of a mental illness, yes. of complex traumas, you, you, you can do it. For sure. Yes. And I th- and I think what you shared there too, like I really wish sometimes I don't like doing video podcasts because I love long form audio, but the way that you kind of like for the listeners, when I asked her that question, she just sort of like looked up to the sky and was like, wow, because that's how I felt, right? When I thought, uh, I maybe want to start a podcast, but what my inner critic said to me was, oh, that's so much work. You don't even know. And then I started Googling it and I saw how many fucking steps were required. And it's like, you have to get an RSS feed and you have to do this. And I wanted to stop before I even started. But I thought, no, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to sign up for all the podcasting newsletters and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to do it step by step by step, right? And I think what the magic of what you just shared and how I got to witness your reaction to that was, your younger self would have just thought, whoa, that's too much. I can never accomplish that. I'm sure Martin Luther King or Oprah Winfrey or any of these, I'm just pulling names out of my my hat right now because there's hundreds of them. Their younger self would have thought, I can't do all of that. It's like when you're following your bliss, stuff does fall into place. Mm-hmm. The right people come, ac- come across your path at the right time. Mm-hmm. Even the right partners that are actually more aligned for you rather than you hanging out at a bar and just grabbing the, the scrap of attention that you get for the night. If you're out there, that's how people and how I ended up in multiple abusive relationship after abusive relationship. It's not because all people that hang out in bars are abusive. It's because I was literally hanging out at at places or on dating apps going, somebody pick me, right? <laughs> like, I hope that I can get the scrap of, of affection. But if I would have spent all that time, like you said, out in community, finding my tribe, <laughs> I could have, that would have been a lot less painful <laughs> for me because I would have been finding the right people and <laughs> following your bliss. Stuff just falls into place. And you're like a perfect example of that. And I think that, um, it's hard sometimes to look back on, on the mistakes we made and how we, in a way, contributed to keeping this loop of depression and self-harm, um, ending up in toxic relationships. I practice gratitude for those experiences. Um, those experiences shaped who I am and shaped my successes and shaped my capacity to have empathy in such a, a, a large and nuanced and precise way for people. So that's that's a superpower. To make a lot of mistakes, uh, also it's also a superpower. Um, uh, something I love that that reframe that's so good right yeah that's that's a medicine the, the, the things that you suffer of have the potential to be a medicine for others 
Mm. Oh, I love that. Like, cause you know, I just did an episode on Ikigai of finding your, you know, it's like, you obviously know all about that, where it's like finding what you're good at, what people will pay for and what the world needs and bringing those things together. Right. And what if it's like, I feel like you just sort of coined your own version of Ikigai because it's like, how can you be a medicine for others? Right. Like that. And also how can you be a medicine for yourself and others at Mm -hmm. the same time? And if you can find that and it is, every person has it for some people that's like transforming vintage cars for some people that's uh, helping animals. And there's the reason why we're all different. We're wired differently. We have different levels of sensitivities because, and then the whole purpose of life is finding that thing that Mm. makes work not feel like work. And Mm. I think that I used to believe Zelda. I was like, that's bullshit. When people are like, my work doesn't feel like work. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But it exists because I know that I know it and I couldn't believe it until I experienced it for myself. Mm. And it seems like you too, like you're just like overflowing with your bliss for what you're doing. Yeah. There's something I want to mention for people listening to us, which is that sometimes we like many things. And I think it's very important to mention that because um, finding your bliss is is unique to yourself right and oftentimes the way it's like depicted um in in like famous stories of successful people is like that one thing that they did for their whole life and that's not true and i was interviewing a a very famous programmer this weekend for for the pods And it was fascinating to hear him explaining how he was interested by all those things as a kid and was always reproached to be interested in too many things. So I just want to like celebrate the the generalists out there that might be finding their bliss in many ways, in many ways, many things. Um, This is also a very valid experience. You don't have to be an expert to do great things out of your path. So beautiful. I just love this conversation so much, Zelda, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I'd love to have you on again. Like, I think it would be super fun for you to come back and maybe answer some listener questions with me. I just think it's amazing what you've accomplished. And I'm sure you hear that all the time. I will continue being a fan of yours and enjoy watching what you're doing. And I have no doubt that we'll be collaborating in the future. And uh, this will be the, be the the start of a beautiful friendship because I've just, I've seriously loved this conversation. And for those of you that are listening, this is the first time we've ever spoken to. And I love it when it happens when I have a guest on and I'm like, oh my God, love her. (laughs) It's just great. You know, I'd love to, for every guest, I like to finish with what are you working on? Obviously you already mentioned Mm -hmm. a bit of this. You're working on a podcast. Is it already out can I share it with my listeners or can they start listening now yes um so there's many things I'm currently working on but I guess the best way to follow my walk and to get to know me and to get useful tips for your own educational journey is to look for my podcast called drop up by Zelda poem on um, all your favorite podcast platforms 
and then to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Zelda Poem. I also do a lot of coaching and I just love when people reach out um, to me and ask me questions. It's always such a joy to exchange on all those topics. Yes. I mean, that's how you and I are here right now. I reached out to you on Twitter and you were just so responsive and great. Mm -hmm. So I will be linking in the episode description for the listeners, your podcast, your Twitter, your Instagram. And I recommend anyone to follow her on Twitter. Like you're on fire on Twitter. I love your Twitter presence. I just think I just love it. And so just please, please, please check out Zelda's work and support it, especially since you're on a podcast app right now, you can just hop over and just click and then follow it right away. So I'd love my listeners to support you. And I love all of the words of inspiration that you left my listeners with Zelda. For those of you that listen in, many of you are struggling hard when it comes to mental health and especially struggling to find meaning. And I know all of this can sound very overwhelming. So I think what I would like to leave you with, and then I'll let Zelda leave some parting words too before we cut, but it's just remember, follow your bliss. And if you're in school right now, my listeners, we always tend to black and white thinking, you don't have to drop out of school tomorrow. You don't have to say, oh, screw this. I'm quitting my job tomorrow. But these are things, those are seeds that I hope can be planted and you can start thinking about this stuff. And if that leads to you dropping out, if that leads to you not dropping out, follow your bliss, right? Follow your bliss. And on my end, I would like to reinforce this idea that your struggle is has the potential to be a medicine. Um, life is made of struggles. Uh, it will continue at some at, at many times throughout your life. Um, but to reframe that pain and that struggle as a potential medicine for yourself and others is incredibly powerful. It will not make things easier. Um, but it has the potential to make the world greater and make you closer to yourself and to your people. Beautiful. We weren't put on here on this planet, right, to have an easy life, right? Mm. We are meant to make meaning of the struggle and Mm. make meaning of the cards that we were dealt and do our best to leave this place better than we found it for the people behind us. Right. So I think what you're doing is amazing. Zelda, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And I have no doubt that people are going to love this. So if you have any feedback, feel free to send me a voicemail and I'll share them with Zelda. Cause I'm sure she'd love to hear any words that you have of reflections. Um, if you have any feedback, you can email me and I'll pass that on to Zelda, but I have no doubt you can reach out to her too. I know as a creator, it feels so good when you hear from people who listen. So don't hesitate to reach out to Zelda and share how the episode impacted you because I'm sure it will be beneficial for your work. Are you open to that, Zelda? Yes, please. Please do. And thank you, Molly, for such a beautiful space and such an impactful contribution to making the world a better place. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Mm. Thanks, Zelda. All right. That's it for today's interview, everyone. As promised, don't forget to check out the links 
in the episode description. You'll be able to find Zelda, connect with her, follow her work, and listen to her new podcast. So all those links will be there for you. Check them out. Enjoy it. Support what Zelda is doing because I think we can all agree that she is just fucking great. (laughs) So for long-term listeners, you know the drill. How my podcast is set up is that the first part of the podcast is free. It's important to me to offer free resources for people who need them. And then the back half of the podcast is where we chill out a bit more. I get intimate and talk to you about what's going on in my own life and explore questions from my premium subscribers. And today on the premium version of the podcast, I'm going to be opening up about some really tough things in my personal life. And so if you want to hear that, you're going to need to subscribe and you can do that by visiting the link in the podcast episode description or going to backfromtheborderline.com, clicking in to the website and you'll be walked through how to become a, what's called a premium submarine. That's what I call my premium subscribers because we go deep. On the premium version of the podcast today, we're going to be talking about some realizations that I've been having lately that are really heavy. And if you are triggered by child sexual abuse, grooming, and childhood trauma stuff, it might be something that you want to skip. But if you're interested to know about what we're going to be discussing, I recently did a post on my Instagram account where I talked all about this and the response was insane. I think I got like 500 comments on this post and I've never experienced such an explosion of response. And so I felt like I need to go into this subject matter a little more deeply on the premium version of the podcast, which starts right now. You're going to be hearing the first few minutes. It will fade out. And if you want to unlock the full episode, you will need to become a premium subscriber. So let's get into it. Hello, my premium submarines. It has been a crazy few weeks. Sometimes I'll batch create my episodes and that's what I did these last four weeks because we had a lot going on in our lives. Zaz and I, we moved, we had family visit, Zaz's grandmother passed away and there's just been a lot of life events hitting us. And so it's been about three weeks since I sat down to record an episode. The last three episodes that you heard were all recorded over like one week. That was about a month and a half ago. And a lot has happened since I sat down at the mic last. It's been really hard. Um, They say that healing isn't linear and you kind of just think about that from an intellectual perspective until like a wave of unprocessed trauma hits you like a train and it just feels like you're taken back to square one and after my recent visit from my family last month that happened I felt like I went back to square one again a lot of stuff came up for me and I wanted to share that with you Because even though I have a successful podcast talking about healing and recovery, I don't believe in positioning myself as someone who knows everything or who has completed the healing process. 
I don't believe that exists. And I witnessed that in a big way this last week. So I'm going to get into things that are a little more personal near the end of this episode, because as you all know, who are premium subscribers, I play the first few episodes on the public feed. So I wanted to start off with the Instagram post I made this week. I felt compelled to write things down and share what I've been going through personally. So I thought I'd just start off by reading the Instagram post to you. And if you want to read through the comments that were made on it or read it again on your own, I'll be sure to link it in the episode description so that you can go back. But this is what I wrote. This is a heavy and very personal share, but I feel ready to go there. Only now am I realizing the extent to which emotional neglect in childhood can leave us vulnerable to sexual abuse, predatory behavior, and exploitation as children and adolescents. My caregivers were so oblivious and neglectful of my psychological needs that I was constantly looking for an emotional home anywhere I could find it. When I was very young, I found myself gravitating towards much older friends. I soaked up the deep conversations they were willing to have with me. I felt starved for it. I became incredibly close with a few of my friends' mothers, often to the point of ignoring spending time with my actual friends so I could sit with their moms and tell them about my worries and problems. I became jealous and bitter towards my friends when I had to go back home where my needs were either invisible at best or at worst, inconvenient and punishable. As I became a young teen and began to show very early signs of sexual maturity, this desperate search to feel seen turned darker. Growing up in the wild west of the internet, I was 14 when MySpace became a thing. I found myself being approached and contacted by attractive men in their late 20s to early 40s. A few of these men I met in person, a few I just sent photos to as the relationship, quote-unquote, was completely online. I felt so mature. I loved the attention. It didn't feel wrong at all. If you'd have told me back then that I was a victim of any kind, I'd have laughed in your face. Boys my age seemed to pale in comparison. Why waste my time with high schoolers when I could just skip to hot older men? I was winning, right? Wrong. The other day, I was at a friend's house. She has a 14-year-old son, and I caught myself watching him and his younger brother playing, and I was struck by how young he looked. And I tried to imagine myself, now 33, engaging this young boy in conversation, in person, or online with any kind of sexual intent. I couldn't do it. Instantly, I was flooded with a sense of anger, grief, and nausea. The realization hit me. What I experienced was wrong. It was abuse. I was a fucking child. A memory flooded back to me. When I broke down and decided to take the emotional risk of telling my mom about my sexual assault at 17 at the hands of one of these older men, I was met with an anxious stare. She didn't even reach out to touch me. All I heard was, what do you want me to do? My heart shattered into a million pieces. All I wanted was to be held and comforted. And I received frozen ice, 
just like I always had. My mother and I never spoke about that moment again. It became just another elephant in the room, along with hundreds of others, never to be addressed, always to haunt me. As I moved into my 20s, I became what could only be described as hypersexual. The thing is, I was only performing sexuality. It was never real. It was all an act to extract tiny moments of being seen and valued, even if that meant being an object for the night. So where does this leave me now? I find myself incredibly disconnected from my sexuality. I'm finally in a healthy and safe long-term partnership with someone I love very much and who loves me back, but I still have no idea how to be a sexual being. I feel like that part of myself was frozen in time. Sharing this openly feels terrifying, but it feels good to have my truth out in the open. This is part of my journey. This is how I will begin to alchemize my shame and use it to help others who've experienced something similar, but for whatever reason, can't give voice to it. This isn't an advertisement on how to magically cure oneself of the devastating impact of childhood emotional neglect or abuse. I'm not here to sell you some $4,000 divine feminine healing circle in Costa Rica promising to restore your sexual beingness. I'm still trying to figure it all out myself, and I'm floundering. I can't erase what happened to me. I can't spiritually bypass it all away. I know I have to feel my way through this. One thing I can do is shine the hot light of truth on my experience, letting it all out into the open air, letting it breathe. No more hiding, no more elephants in the room. I was not too much. I was not attention-seeking. I was neglected. I was abused. I was a child. And if my experience mirrored yours, so were you. I'm going to dive into this more, read some of the responses I received, and more deeply explore childhood emotional neglect and what it was like looking for an emotional home wherever I could find it in the premium version of the podcast. And now I'm going to fade out. If you want to hear the rest of my discussion on this, you will need to sign up to my Patreon to become a premium submarine. And you can do that by following the link in the episode description or visiting my website, backfromtheborderline.com, clicking into the main website, and you'll see the link there. So I hope to join you into the premium submarines. If not, that's okay too. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Zelda. I hope that you have a great rest of your morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you happen to be listening to this. And if you're new to the podcast, don't forget to follow the pod so that you are alerted every time I drop an episode on Tuesday. If this episode touched you, I would love it if you would share it with someone that you care about because the reason the podcast has become so successful is because of amazing listeners like you sharing it with their loved ones. Thank you. Out of all the content 
you could have chosen today. You chose to be here with me and that really, really means something to me. I'm sending you huge hugs and lots of love and I'll look forward to seeing you right back here next Tuesday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.